Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose. My name is Gabby. And on today's show, we are al fresco for a start. We are mm, doing greenery. We're doing nice. like talk show host style, where we've got uh, we're actually talking into the same microphone, sitting we're next to each other. We're in the real place. Look at this. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, if you're listening to this and not watching this, that then that would be, that was just really weird. So, on today's episode, we actually had a really great conversation. I thought um, about is it, is property investing even the right thing to do right now? And yeah. um, we covered a lot of ground. What are some of the things we covered? Yeah, we just tried to cover a lot of the questions that have been coming up from clients in the market in general. Like, you know, is now the right time? Is it too late? Is it too early? Can I still afford to buy a property with, you know, inflation happening, with interest rates increasing? What should I do? Should I act? Should I wait? Should I sell? Those kind of things. Yeah. So we covered a lot of ground. We talked about loads of different stuff and I actually really enjoyed the episode. And yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of value in there. So Without any further ado, let's get stuck straight into it. But also remember, if you like this episode, make sure you like, rate, review, share it. Share it is actually way more important. The rating and the reviewing and all of that kind of stuff, that's great, right? What actually matters is that we get this out to more people. So if you can think of one person that you know of who would benefit from hearing this kind of stuff, then make sure you share the podcast with them and and so that we can help them too. Yeah. Cool. Well, without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. We'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Well, what we're doing on today's show is a little bit different, isn't it? If you're watching on video, you'll see that we have some beautiful backgrounds. Yes, so we're doing this. This is our very first podcast that we are doing, Al Fresco. Uh, obviously, <laughs> um, you're with Goose and Gabby, and we're going to be having a good conversation today. And we thought we'd just try a slightly different setup, and it feels pretty yeah, interesting. It feels pretty good. We found this microphone that can do two sides, so it is omnidirectional. So we'll see how we go. Goose is obviously way louder than. I am, so I'm just going to have to shout and we'll be sweet. <laughs> I don't think you're going to need to shout. I think we should be all good. Okay, so, cool. Okay, so, but um, what we wanted to have a chat about today is pretty interesting because there's, there's a lot going on in the marketplace at the moment. There's a lot of noise, yep. a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. And so, I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to kind of have a chat, just a general kind of conversation around that. What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds good. So, where should we start? Well, I think to start at the start, really, mm-hmm. in terms of like a lot of people are freaking out a little bit. They're going, you know, I've been interested in investing in property for a while. Mm. It seems like it's not the best time to, to get started. So I think maybe is it is it a good time? Should people wait? Yeah. So it's pretty interesting because I think it's even not even what you said there was like, is it a good time to get started, right? And I think yeah. that it's actually a little bit deeper than that because a lot of people are wondering like, like even if they have started, they're starting to wonder like, is it even the right? Yeah. Like, should I should I keep, <laughs> even keep the properties? Like, is yeah, property yeah. the right thing to be invested in at the moment? Yep. And I think it's a really interesting this discussion to have. Um, it is absolutely fair enough for people to be having those thoughts, right? So you've you've just like like a trillion dollars or something got wiped out of the crypto market the other day, right? right. So that's crashed, right? Um, it's just like completely, you know, that's. Totally gone bananas. The share market is down like roughly forty percent or, or more yep. uh, in the, particularly in the US over uh, this this year alone. So you've got stock like stock market has basically crashed, right? Mm-hmm. And you got and crypto has basically crashed, right? Mm-hmm. And so everyone's now going, oh my god! Like the fear has come in, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's a pretty it's a pretty natural thing. Like when you feel like everything is starting to, it's like the everything crash, right? Yeah. Um. 
fundamentally, though, I just don't think that's true. And I think that actually when you actually think about the mechanics of it, it's like the opposite is true, which is pretty interesting. Ooh, elaborate, please. So crypto has always been a bit of a big unknown, right? So they've talked about the fact that it's – I'm not a crypto expert. I'm not going to even try and pretend to be, right? But – um, but there's always been conversation around the fact that it's kind of like an inflation hedge, right? So mm-hmm. it's a, it's how it's it's good portfolio diversification, and it you know it's a, and it's inflation hedge. It's an inflation hedge like gold. And the basis of that um, status as an inflation hedge was the fact that there's a finite supply, like a Bitcoin, for example. There's a finite supply of Bitcoin. There's a finite finite supply of gold, and therefore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good. It's it holds its value even when the dollar devalues in an inflationary environment, right? So the thesis was is was that crypto would behave like gold, and it was like a more modern digital version of a precious metal asset type right. thing. Yep, that was the thesis. Anyway, that that's proven to not be true, right? Because we're in a we're in an inflationary environment. Because what happened and the, the things that are causing inflation are supply chain disruptions and the war in Ukraine. Right? Pretty simple, right? That's that's literally it. So. COVID happened, all the supply chains got shut down, which meant the cost of goods has gone up because people can't get the supply of materials and all of that kind of stuff. When the cost of goods goes up, that's specifically what is what inflation is, right? So when things cost you more day to day, then that is literally what inflation is. It's price inflation, right? Yep. So coupled with the fact that um, a lot of money got pumped into the system, so through quantitative easing in most parts of the world, so you had constrained supply, which meant the prices were going up, but you also had more money sloshing around in the system, which meant that more people could afford to pay higher prices, which you know in turn doesn't so because if the prices go up and nobody can afford to pay for it then the demand doesn't keep going up you have yeah. what's called demand destruction it's like well the yeah. price goes up to a certain point and then no one can buy the things anymore and there's no more demand and it kind of finds a natural equilibrium yeah. the prices were going up and there was more money in the system which meant that more people could then keep buying more stuff and the price could keep going up and all of this kind of stuff so you had kind of artificial growth and artificial kind of price inflation uh, so between the supply chain disruption and the, and the war in Ukraine, that is specifically what has caused inflation. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to circle back to this kind of to the kind of point we're making, but there's a lot of concern about inflation that it might, you know, that that it's going to get to some crazy amount and all that kind of stuff. But interest rates, mm-hmm. in, inflation is going up to a point now that it needs to be put under control, right? Otherwise, it'll get carried away and people won't be able to afford like price of a cup of coffee will get to ten bucks and you know all of this kind of stuff, and yeah. we'll have. You know, total societal collapse. In fact, once upon a time, there was a coffee strike um, where all the coffee farmers went on strike, where there was a coffee uh, or all the coffee crops failed or something like that. And it was like a national, like a a global productivity, you know, crisis because nobody nobody could work without their coffee. Uh, So just imagine (laughs) that if coffee got to 10 bucks, you know, like productivity collapse everywhere. But the point is, so interest rates are going up to manage inflation, right? Yep. So we've got inflation because we had COVID and supply chain disruption and then a war in Ukraine, which has caused more supply chain disruption, particularly for energy uh, resources and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the governments have to put up the interest rate in order to um, manage inflation, to control inflation. Okay. So what happens when interest rates go up, right? Yeah. Now, 
the specific thing that happens with businesses, right, is the, the valuation of businesses goes down, mm-hmm. right, which means that people don't want to be invested in those businesses anymore because the reason mum and dad investors in shares, invest in shares is because they want to build their wealth. Mm-hmm. But actually, they're not the biggest cohort of people buying shares. The biggest cohort of people buying shares are institutional investors. And institutional investors are buying shares because they want dividends and yield, right? Yep. And the value of a business will always come down to the actual value of the net cash flow in today's in Today's terms, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that investors think about positioning their capital is where are they going to get the greatest yield on their money, right? Yep. And so when interest rates are really, really low, which means that uh, if they were to lend the money out or do anything else with their money, they wouldn't get much for it. They have to invest wherever they think they're going to get the better yield. But as mm-hmm. interest rates go up, the cost of capital is higher, i.e. if they're borrowing the money or if they want to lend it out or do these, the cost of capital is higher mm-hmm. and therefore it's less attractive to have it in businesses which have low margins, right? Mm-hmm. And so what tends to happen is inflation Inflation pushes up the cost of operating a business, right? So goods and services, wages are going up because, you know, uh, inflation is going up and, and, you know, there's a, uh, there's a low unemployment, all that kind of stuff. So wages are going up, cost of materials is going up in businesses. So margins are getting squeezed in businesses, which mm. means their actual like cash flow, their productive output, the thing that investors want to pay attention to is smaller and also the cost of capital is going up, right? Yeah. So therefore, it becomes way less attractive for investors to be in businesses, right? Yeah. So that is why the share market is performing poorly, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why tech stocks have taken a bit of a hit and all of that kind of stuff because, uh, you know, th- they're concerned about the future value of the cash flows and all of that kind of stuff. But the thing is with property is it behaves extremely differently. Yeah, I was going to say, does that mean that like institutional investors are going to have more interest in property over the next few years? Well, so the thing about institutional investors is they don't realise they can invest in residential property. (laughs) It's really funny. It's actually really, really, really funny. So um, we have had conversations with institutional investors and when we said that we help um, like residential property investors, they were like, what? Residential property? What yeah. What do you mean? Right? What? Because they think, so from an institutional perspective, they tend to think that property investing just means commercial, right? Yeah. And if you actually look at what's been happening in the commercial space over the past, you know, 12 to 24 months, yields are at an all-time low. And the reason yields are at an all-time low is because prices are at an all-time high, right? And that is because institutional money has been flooding into that sector of the real estate market for some time. And it's crazy, right? So, so commercial used to be where you would go to get really solid yields. And it's just, they just, those yields just aren't there anymore. It's just not happening, right? But what we have seen is institutional investors really flooding into the residential market, particularly in places like the US. And what happens in the US usually ends up happening in Australia as well, just a couple of years later. So, yes, I do think that there are going to be some large-scale institutional investment in the residential property market in Australia. But the thing is, the residential property market behaves completely different to the share market and the crypto market and all of these other kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, first and foremost, inflation is really, 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 really good for residential property values, right? Now, I'm not talking about whether it makes it fair for people to be able to get into the market. Um, is it good for first home buyers or any of these kind of things? That's not what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Because um, I genuinely think that there is, well, it's not what I think, right? There is a property crisis in Australia, right? There's a rental market crisis because we have a housing shortage. There's a prop, like there's a property shortage. People, and it's hard for people to get into the market. It really is, genuinely is. Um, but parking that for a little minute. So inflation is really, 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 really good for residential property prices because, and that's where all the money goes because 
because there's a finite supply and there's high demand, right? And it's a good one. It's an inflation hedge. So it's a genuine inflation hedge. It's been proven over the years, right? So what happens in a high inflation environment is prices go up, yeah. right? That simple. Okay. So prices are going up uh, in the residential property market, right? Because of inflation, as well as all of the other factors that we've talked about loads of times before, all of the stimulus, all of the infrastructure boom, the exodus to affordable lifestyle, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And people have also got to remember that even though interest rates are going up, they're still at record lows, right? Mm-hmm. They are still, well, technically not record. Not because, record because it's, it's still low compared to- Yeah, yeah. Technically come just off the record, but they're, yeah. they're, they're like- the lowest, they're in the lowest, you know, segment they've been in in decades, right? Yep. So, so it's crazy cheap money still, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, what happens when property prices go up and when interest rates go up is it does affect entry uh, capability for homeowners, for people to buy properties. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. And so that's really interesting, right? Because what a lot of people think is going to happen is that interest rates are going to go up and all of a sudden people can't afford to own their own homes anymore and they're going to have to sell all their properties and oh my God, it's going to be some it's going to be yeah. some bonfire of oh my God, it's going to be a fire sale. Everyone's going to be selling their houses because interest rates might go up two percent or something. Yep. Less well, bananas, right? Yeah. Because what lenders do is they put a 2% buffer, 2 to 3%, depending on the lender, buffer rate on all mortgages anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because I have seen a lot of um, clients actually asking similar types of questions. Yeah. Like, um, you know, coming back to the question of like, is now a time that I should be buying at all, which mm. a lot of people are thinking, but it is that like maybe, you know, interest rates are going to go up, people can't afford to hold properties anymore, so there's going to be a heap of people, as you said, fire sale, a heap of people selling. So should I wait until I can time that? And so... It's just not going to happen. It's, yeah. It's just not going to ha- It's just it's fundamentally not going to happen because everyone's everyone's ability to borrow on a property is pressure tested at 2 to 3% higher yep. than what their actual interest rate is anyway. So, yep. so I, you know, there's talk of interest rates going up to... 0.5%, right? That's kind of like the outside's kind of, let's call it the alarmist view, right? Because that's kind of like where people are, oh, my God, they could get to 2.5%. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they could, they could. But even if that happened, I don't, we, wouldn't see, we wouldn't see a fire sale. We wouldn't see people suddenly underwater in repayments because they're pressure tested against that anyway. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, people will compromise on, like, housing is such a major part of, of what we need. You imagine those hierarchy of needs. People will say, you know, well, actually – Fuck it! I'm not going to go and buy five lattes this week. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna make sure I can make my repayments. So they're not going to lose their house so they can afford to go and to go and buy more coffees and stuff. It's just not yeah, going to happen. It's not the first the first action that people take is is yeah okay. It's not, I'm, okay, I need to sell the house immediately. Yeah, exactly. So fundamentally, there's not going to be a fire sale, right? It's just not going to happen, yeah. right? So don't try and time <laughs> time for that. Yeah, or a lot of people are even not even just thinking about trying to time it for that. A lot of people are worried that if there is some big fire sale, that it's going to release a heap of stock onto the market and mm-hmm. therefore property prices are going to go down yep. and, and that they might be caught in a downswing. And yeah. just to be super clear, there's absolutely markets are going to go down Somewhere, right? Because that's always happening, right? There's yeah. 15,264 suburbs and towns in Australia. There's always markets that are going down, sometimes really scarily quickly, yeah. <laughs> right? And there's always markets that are going up, right? So that's going to happen. And could that happen in places that the media pays a whole lot of attention to? Could that happen in places like 
Parts of Sydney, yes, because even when parts of Sydney are booming, parts of Sydney are also going down, right? And what tends to happen is the media tends to report what's happening in Sydney and Melbourne, right? And they'll pick whatever the flavour of the news is, either it's booming or it's crashing, and then they'll find the proof of those specific suburbs or locations where that's happening and then they'll say look this is evidence to say it's all like this either going up or down whatever the flavor of the month is yeah, right confirmation bias the it's media ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous right so no there's there's not going to be a there's not going to be a fire sale right mm-hmm. the other factor in that as well is that rents go up so circling back to it right so wages sorry there's a few pa- pieces in here so we're going to stitch all this together because it's, it's a very interesting conversation i think right so just sticking with the kind of like homeowner affordability type thing. They bought a house, interest rates are going up and all of that kind of stuff. The thing yeah. is wages are going up as well, right? So, we've got record low unemployment. Uh, I know ScoMo was looking for a, to get a, what is it, a three, a three in front of it, I think. It was in, one, in the unemployment rate, <laughs> but he didn't quite get there. Technically, technically, the unemployment rate did get to a point where it had a three in front of it, but it was like if you went to three decimal places, it was like three point nine eight seven or, yeah, or right. something like that. So technically, the unemployment rate did get down to something with a three in, uh, three mm-hmm. in front of it, but because we, the unemployment rate only gets rounded to like one or two decimal places, whatever, it's still for right. Anyway, back to the point: <laughs> wages, wages, uh, wages going up. Right, that's mm-hmm. that's the reality of it. So even in those scenarios where over the next say two years, interest rates might go up say two and a half percent wages are also going to be going up over that period of time as well because cost of living is going up and and this is this is part of the problem with businesses is their expenses are going up because wages are going up and you know cost of goods is going up yeah i think people might actually just be concerned that wages won't escalate as quickly as inflation or interest rates or i think because it hasn't really grown a whole lot in the last no there's basically been no no wage growth there's been pretty much no wage growth for like a decade, right? Yeah. So, Which makes sense why people are concerned then when the cost side of things starts to creep up because the income side of things this is, is not matching it. But, but this is actually why inflation is good. Like this is what – so the government has been trying to get inflation to happen for about a decade. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, like all of these things that we're talking about now, like the reason the interest rate kept going down is they kept going, well, we need to try and stimulate more productivity in the market yep. so that – if there's more productivity, there's more jobs. If there's more jobs and the same amount of people, that means the unemployment rate goes down, which means there's more competition, which means that wages are going to go up, and that's a good thing for for, for the economy yep. and also a good thing for households, right? Yep. So the government's been trying to achieve this outcome for, for like a decade, and here we are. Sweet. Awesome. You know, like good. Yep. This is, I say the government, actually, like the Reserve Bank, so not the actual government's been – but <laughs> – but, you know, the point is we're here and it's happening and, and it's all good, but you're right, it, people aren't used to it. Now, yeah. that being said, it doesn't like your wages don't have to go up very much to be able to match interest rates going up by a couple percent, yep. right? So, people have got to keep that kind of perspective in mind as well. Um, but also, like the challenge, obviously, when, when prices go up, right? So, when the, when the average property price is going up because of inflation and because of also all of the other factors you know, driving the property market. It's not just inflation. You know, there's there's loads, <laughs> there's lots of stuff driving the property market at the moment. The prices are going up, uh, but also when interest rates go up, the buffer rate also goes up. So, so if the, if your interest rate uh, a year ago was three percent, right? They're going to chuck two to three percent on top of that as the as the buffer, and that's basically they're going to assess as though um, you can pay you know five 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 to six percent back. 
So if the if the interest rate today then goes up to four percent, right? Yeah. And you're trying to get a loan. Guess what? They're going to assess whether you can pay it back at six to seven percent, right? So what that means when they're assessing your credit or your your ability to get that loan is they're going to be testing you on a higher rate, which which means you're not going to be able to borrow as much, right? Yeah, I was going to say, but surely that would affect people. Like, not everyone is going to be able to afford repaying at six to seven percent. No, exactly. This is yeah. actually this is actually the point, right? So yeah. what? So for people that already have properties, for investors, so this is like the best time ever for investors. I'm going to come back to that, right? Mm. Literally, like for a homeowner, ah, it could be there might be a little bit. You might have to tighten the belt a little bit, right? Yeah. If your wages don't go up at the same rate and everything like that, right? Okay, homeowner, one thing. Investors, this is this is like this is like the best ever time to be a property investor, in my opinion. It's awesome, but to enter into the market, right? To get in is harder, right? Mm-hmm. Because prices are going up. Yep. And the assessment rate is going up, which yep. makes it harder to get a loan. So there's higher prices and harder to get a loan. So that's like a double whammy, wrong yep. direction. So um, what that does is actually makes it harder for people to buy a home. Yep. Which means that more people need to rent. So before COVID, we were 144,000 houses short in Australia. Mm. 144,000, that's a lot of people that don't have homes. Yeah. Right? You, and, and that's what it means. People don't really understand that, that number, right? That means that we don't have enough houses for people. That means there's not enough places for people to live. That's a lot. Yeah. Right? Then COVID hit and we, there's supply chain disruption, which means we haven't been able to build houses, right? Yep. But with all the lockdowns, and all the supply chain disruptions, and now the cost of building going up because of all the supply chain yeah. disruptions. We're literally not. I know someone who's trying to build a house, and it's blown out. But somewhere in two years from now, they're looking to complete it. It's like it's crazy. Yeah, it's like I know people who you know they can't find or be able to afford a home where they want to live, so they're like, "I'll get a house and land package." But even then, it's like two, two, <laughs> maybe even three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so we're not able to keep up with the demand. The, the real fix for all of this, the real fix for all of this kind of like housing crisis stuff, so the rental crisis and the home ownership crisis, right, is literally build more houses. That's what the government needs to do. They need to yep. build shitloads more houses. Yep. So they're talking about all these schemes like, oh, yeah, we're going to give people access to their super to get a deposit. We're going to do all of these kind of things. I mean, that's cool, but all that's really going to do is drive up property prices. Oh, yeah. If you actually want to fix the problem, right, you need to go and build more houses, the right? Supply issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but the thing is, right, so, so it's harder to get into the market, right? Mm-hmm. So, what that means is more people are going to be renting. So, people who, uh, if interest rates didn't go up, may have been able to buy a property, may not be able to buy a property right now, or might not be able to buy the property that they want, and they might choose to rent for longer, right? Yeah. So that increases that increases uh, rental demands. Now the backside of that is that home ownership affordability has been was or has been the best it's ever been. And so over the last couple of years, and um, particularly particularly since uh, twenty twenty, more homeowners entered the market than ever before, or for a very long period of time, maybe not ever before, right? But but for but there was a flood of homeowners entering the market, right? Which actually means rental stock got reduced. So mm-hmm. Sydney is a really great example of that because investors sold in Sydney because the prices went up and they thought, let's capitalise on that. Yep. Uh, and then loads of homeowners bought in because actual home ownership affordability was really, really good, right? Now there's, not, now there's less rental properties, right? And so there's... And you got to remember, like, renters, renters are people too. They need a place to live, right? Mm-hmm. So there's increased rental demand nationwide, right? So you've got this kind of, like, perfect storm where uh, 
what that does is that actually drives up yields or as property, it depends on how fast the rents are rising compared to the property prices, right? Yeah. As, as to how that reflects in yields because if property prices go up 30% and rents go up 10%, then your yield will be lower, but your rent will be higher. But actually, if we look at the, if we look at the March quarter, rents nationally rose about three times faster than property prices, right? That's mental. It's crazy. And Science, wow. Totally. So, the, the, the problem the problem that um, people have got is they fixate on one specific dynamic and they say, oh, interest rates are going up, therefore everything's like we can't possibly invest. We're doomed. In. We're doomed. It's like, yeah, but rents are going up too. Yeah. Right? And so from an investor perspective, this is an absolutely perfect time to be investing because when you, when you purchase the property, right, so there's two key figures in there, property price and rents, right, purchase yep. price and rents. Yep. Rents continue to go up after you've purchased the property, but the price stays the same. <laughs> yeah. You only purchase the property once, once. right? Yep. So the sooner you buy an invest, uh, sooner you buy a property, the sooner you lock it in. You're locking in the price. That doesn't change. Yep. Right. But then rents, rents are going to continue to rise. Now, obviously, you're not going to raise your rents every month or every whatever, <laughs> right? But the point is that over a very short period of time, those rents are going to escalate pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess also like you know. Like you said earlier, there's supply issues and that comes down to rentals as well, right? Like it's been yeah. incredibly low rental vacancy rates nationally so far, but it's just like as more and more people can't afford to buy a home, they're going to continue to rent. Yeah. And so that vacancy rate is going to come down even lower. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's already it's already at crisis levels, right? So, yeah. so it, it's funny because I don't think people actually get it, right? When we talk about a crisis, like it's a legitimate crisis, yep. like legitimately there are people that can't find a place to live. Yeah. That's not good. And these aren't, we're not talking about like, you know, some kind of, you know, like these are, these are families. These are families with jobs that can't find a place to live, right? Yeah. And so there's there's this kind of like demonization of property investors, right, for driving up property prices. But that just fundamentally isn't true, right? Because because like homeowners purchase more properties than investors, uh, and investors are the ones that provide rental properties, mm. right? And without rental properties, people don't have a place to live. So the problem is actually that we just did, there's not enough properties, right? Um, that's actually, yeah, so that's actually kind of the biggest issue. But, yeah, I mean, look, if you really look at, like, the, to, to go back to the question of, like, is, like, is property even a good thing to do? I'm like, over the next, so me personally, on the inflation front, I think, uh, on sorry, on the interest rate front specifically, I had to look at, I had to look at um, the interest rates over the last 30 years or, or back to, uh, back to basically 1980, so what, 40 years or something, right? I had to look at, I had to, I had to look at all the, the trends and because there's been multiple times where interest rates have gone up by two three percent like significant jumps um and i had a look at like how long they went up for so as parking the comments well actually just like i'm going to put it in there right so <laughs> in that in that analysis yeah like so many situations where interest rates went up and also property prices went up so this whole idea that interest rates go up and property prices go down is just it's a complete fast like it's a complete lie it's the biggest it's the biggest lie that gets told in the whole property market, right? That all the economists that talk about it in the media, they're all wrong. Like there is no evidence to suggest that it is true, mm-hmm. right? And it's interesting because even uh, Matt Commons, so the CEO of, of Commonwealth Bank, even he reckons it's not going to, he, he even he thinks that interest rates aren't going to go up very much. 
they're talking to an half percent. He's saying like max one and a half or something mm. like that. But I had a look at how long they go, typically go up for, and it's like max two years. So they'll tend to go up, right? Max two years, yeah. and then and then go down again. And so what we're not talking about is a system. And, and if you look at the last forty years, the systemic trend has been down. The cost of capital has been getting lower right, mm. over time, right? So I don't believe that we're in a situation in our uh, societal history where we're suddenly going to start seeing a forty-year upward trend of interest. So that makes literally zero economic sense. That doesn't that doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, so is it likely that interest rates are going to go up? Yes. Yep, a couple of percent maybe, right? But is that going to be for long? No, it's going to be for like probably like like statistically speaking, looking at the how how it's happened in the past, like max a couple of years. And then you've got the inflation question as well. It's like how long is inflation going to be here for? Because interest rates are only there to buffer us against uh, the risk the, the risks associated with inflation. And already in the US, there are signs that peak inflation has already passed. Mm. Uh, and that's really interesting because because there's there was a lot of talk about it being transitory, and I still think that it, that it could be transitory. So yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, so I guess just going back to like investors and you know serviceability and buying properties that have good yields and and you know is it still going to be possible for people to get cash flow positive? Because I think a lot of people are thinking that it's like. Cash flow positive might become a myth because obviously people, the the hardest hit right now Mm. is homeowners and people that are negatively geared, right? Because they're having to find more and more cash every month to contribute to the same asset because it's getting more expensive. But for investors, if you're still aiming for high yields, Mm. are you still able to get cash flow positive? In this environment. Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I mean, like fundamentally, yes. Like you can always get cash flow positive properties, right? Like, yeah. like people think it's hard, but it's not, right? You can go find loads of really high yielding properties of cash flow positive. That's that's the easy bit. <laughs> the question is, can you find cash flow positive properties that are also in really good growth locations? That's yeah. that's the real question. Yep. So can you? Yeah. So even if interest rates went up another. Three, four percent. Of course, you'd still be able to get cash flow positive properties, right? That's 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 really not the question. The question is, are they the kind of properties you would want to buy in the kind of pro- portfolio that you would want to build, and all of that kind of stuff, right? So, um, the kind of pragmatic re- redefinition of that. The thing is, as I mentioned earlier, like rents are going up really, really fast. Uh, prices are also going up in most places, right? Yeah. And so, I would not be thinking as much about today's cash flow and I'd be thinking about tomorrow's cash flow personally, right? Mm. Um, Tomorrow being in how long? Yeah, well, so anecdotally, we bought a property, right? And uh, from memory, I think it was like 5.2% yield when we purchased it. Yeah. And it was 5.8% yield by the time it settled or something. Yeah. Right? So rents are going up pretty quickly, right? So depending on the situation, right? Now, the way you want to be thinking about it probably is there's two ways to think about being in a uh, high interest rate environment. If you want to gen- if you if cash flow is a real concern, right, and you want to absolutely make sure that you're not going to be out of pocket day to day, etc., then I would suggest this is not financial advice. I am not qualified to give any of this kind of stuff. <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah, just total <laughs> disclaimer. Don't take. Go speak to a mortgage broker or whatever. <laughs> but I would suggest that an interest only loan would probably be. A really smart decision, right? Yeah. I think it makes sense anyway, right? 
So if you really want to cushion yourself and make sure that your property is cash flow positive, make sure that you've got an interest only loan. Now that doesn't mean that you should then go, well, does that mean I should go and buy 3% yielding properties and just put them on interest only? And if they get $2 cash flow positive, tick, tick the box. No, you're still, mm-hmm. you're, stu- you're still playing a game of finance, right? And so the finance component is still going to be based on making sure that you're getting decent yields and stuff like that. And from what we've seen, as long as we're keeping it above 5% on at the, at the time of 5 to 5.5% as a kind of like as a low end, you're still going to be in a good place, right? Because in 12 months' time, let's say you buy a property at 5% yield, in 12 months' time, it's probably going to be 6% yield, right? So, so that's when you can put the rents up after 12 months of the, the, the tenancy. So um, the way that I would be thinking about it is, is more from a long-term perspective. I think everyone's thinking super, 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 super short-term. In fact, I had a meeting with one of our clients uh, yesterday um, talking about uh, where their portfolio is at. So this guy's absolutely crushed it. He's bought five properties in like 11 months. He's absolutely killing it. The returns he's gotten are just like astronomical. And the question was like, what, is he, what, what should he do now? <laughs> And his his goal his goal is to get to like one hundred and fifty thousand cash flow, right? Now the way he has structured his loans and all of that kind of stuff means that his portfolio is, you know, roughly a loop, like marginally cash flow positive, but it's not like super cash flow positive. Right? We're talking like nominally, right? Yeah. And so the the way to think about that is uh, he's five properties in in eleven months. And I said to him, well, why don't we just keep looking to scale your portfolio? For the next couple of years, right? Let's get to the. And it was 150 grand in 10 years was his goal, and we're like, we'll call it, we'll say we're 18 months into the journey. Um, I said, why, why don't we just focus on uh, accumulation and scale for the next few years till we get to about year four, year five, mm-hmm. right? And then we can look at a rationalization and look at what assets we're going to keep, what assets we're going to potentially pay down, um, sell down some assets, all of that kind of stuff, and look at the next phase in the portfolio. And I think that taking a two-stage approach to the portfolio is going to be really smart for most people in today's environment because if you're trying to replace your income by stacking one property on top of another, it's a very short-sighted way of doing it. Um, so back to your question, like, can you get cash flow positive properties in today's environment? You absolutely can. Even if interest rates went up another 2%, yes, you absolutely can. Are yields where they were... Two years ago, no, they're not, right? In the places that we're buying, no, they're not. Yeah. So, you know, once upon a time, if we go back, even if we go back to like the start of 2021, we were we were like on the reg buying properties at like eight, nine percent yield and stuff. On the like, reg. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like it was like it was unreal. You yeah. know, we were buying all yeah, these properties yeah. that were like eight, nine percent yield. It was it was just crazy, you know. Can we still buy them? Yeah, but they're pretty rare these days. Yep. You know, like the average yield um, that we were looking at, say, two years ago was like sitting between sort of 6 and 7%. Yeah. And t- today, today, in today's environment, we're kind of looking at sort of like low to mid fives up to mid sixes, right? But again, properties are properties are long-term game, not a short-term game, right? You shouldn't yeah. be thinking about like today's what's happening today. You should be thinking about how am I setting my portfolio up for success? Yep. Um, and, you know, talking per, from our personal kind of situation, we bought we bought a couple of properties recently that were, when we when we purchased them, were less than 5.5% yield. And the reason we did that is because we knew that we were buying the right property in the right place at the right time. And already those rents are going up and already those yep. prices are going up. And so, I think taking a slightly different view to uh, portfolio sustainability and structuring your loans in a way that gives you that cash flow comfort to make sure that you're not going to be out of pocket um, is a really good idea. Mm. Uh, and then later on, once once you know rents have gone up and once 
uh, interest rates are kind of rationalized and all of that kind of stuff, then maybe, like, so if you get, let's say you get interest only for five years, at the end of that five-year term, maybe that's when you want to put it back and refinance it to a P&I if you're really committed to paying down the debt. Me personally, I'd prefer to stay interest only forever. Does that kind of answer the question? does, yeah. I just want to add like a couple of things. So like when you're saying the, the kind of areas that we're buying in, mm. it's harder to get those, you know, 7 8 9% yields. Yeah. That is largely because of prices are going up in the equation, the, in the yeah. yield equation rather than like you're not getting the rental no, rents are going. No, rents are going up so far. Like rents. Yeah. Are, oh my god! Like these in the locations we're buying. Rent. I've never seen rents going up so fast. Like rents have been rising 15, 20, 30 percent in the locations we've been buying. Yeah. It's crazy how fast rents are being going up. It's just the prices have been going up a little bit quicker. Yeah, and so for like you know some of our clients that have purchased you know maybe a year ago in those locations, hmm. the yield on paper. If you're looking at the property today, based on like if you purchased it today, the hmm. yield might be lower, but if someone has purchased it a year or two ago, they're basing oh, the yields the are like through the roof. They bought it, yeah, yeah. So the yields, the yields are the still yeah. really good and, and improving. Um, they're not just really good; like they're like bonkers, right? Because if you bought it, if you if you were <laughs> technically a pro- bonkers, yeah, the official term is bonkers, right? If you bought a property two years ago and then rents have risen, and let's say rents have risen thirty percent over the last two years, right? Mm. Which is like really common right <laughs> then you're going to be and if you so if you, your purchase price has stayed the same yeah. your yields have gone gone absolutely skyrocketing right yeah. and so so then when you're looking at your portfolio your yields are so high like that's what's going to give you portfolio scalability because your serviceability based on your portfolio is going to be so much higher right yeah. so like the the trick so do you know warren buffett right so so this this year Warren Buffett is up t- roughly 20%, right? I think from f- roughly about 20%. Mm. And the sto- US stock market is down roughly 40%. Mm. So how did Warren Buffett go up 20% when everyone else, when everything else went down 40%, right? Value investors. We bought the right assets in the right place at the right time. Right assets, yep. right market, right time, right? Yep. And understanding where, like what is going to hold demand and all of that kind of stuff. And that's specifically what the target for us is. In fact, I actually... Uh, Woke up at a crazy early hour this morning and uh, just by the by, and I spent a couple of hours reviewing like suburbs and trying to find, trying to find like any new, like all of the places we're buying in are the best places to buy in right now. And the thing is, the basis for that is not some flash in the pan moment. It's because there is a sustained demand curve happening in those locations. And that means that rents are going up as well. And so if you want it, you want to buy in those environments where you're going to have sustainability and growth, sustainability and rent, sustainability and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Super tactical question just to wrap up because I think this will be helpful for people. Just going back to your comment on like loan structuring. Yeah. And again, you're not a mortgage broker. So not financial advice. Better, not financial advice. Probably a better question for, for Chris or Speak a, to a anyone who has some kind of financial services license. <laughs> not <that>. this podcast. <laughs> not financial advice, sorry. Um, but I think people, you know, rates are going up. Yeah. Should people be locking their interest rates? I'm not qualified to answer that question. No, 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 no. It's true, though. It's no, true. no, 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 and like I'm, I'm legally not qualified to answer it. Yeah. But I'm also, it is, uh, it's so situationally dependent. Yeah. And so it's, I can't, I couldn't possibly 
I, I can take a I can take a, a stance on in, on interest only versus principal and interest. Mm-hmm. My stance on that is that in the current environment, if you're concerned about interest rates going up and cash flow going down, then what you should do is you should strategically structure your debt in a way that you are maximizing your cash flow. Simple, right? That's yeah. interest only. That, yeah. that, that's a viewpoint that I hold, and that's okay. Ah, uh, fixed versus variable. I mean. I mean, who knows? It really depends on the individual. Yeah. What, I, what I would say to that, though, is that where people get stuck is they focus on interest rates, right? And yeah. so they might be able to fix. It's that short-term thinking again. Yeah, yeah, totally. So they, might, they may be able to, and to be honest, I actually don't know if this is currently true or not because I don't pay that much attention to all this stuff. But <laughs> what tends to happen is people tend to fix a term because they're going to fix in a better rate, right? Yeah. Or they're hedging that interest rates are going to go up further than that and they're going to end up better off. The problem with that is it usually means you can't refinance uh, in that property and it means that you've got to pay a break fee if you want to do that and that break fee is going to take away any of those savings that you potentially have made anyway. Whereas in reality, if you work with the market, right, interest rates are going to go up, rents are going to go up, all of this stuff changes in a dynamic equilibria, chances are you're probably going to be okay. Right. Yeah, so. and I think it comes down to like you know we can talk about our portfolio without giving general uh, specific advice to people, but like we because it is going to be, you know, you're suggesting that it's not going to be a super long term thing. You know, it might yeah. be a couple of years where they go up. Um, we're fortunate enough to be in a position where we've got quite a cash flow positive portfolio. Yeah. So based on our beliefs and also the strategy, we would rather be. We would rather be in a position where you can we can refinance freely yeah. as we need to. Yeah. And but we've got a cash flow positive enough portfolio to be able to sustain any kind of fluctuations in interest rates. So we personally we do variable. We don't fix in any of our Very, variable everything and interest only everything. Because we, we value we value the flexibility. We yeah. value the, you know, if an opportunity comes up, we want mm. to be able to refinance and, and purchase another property or yeah. that kind of thing. That is what is yeah. valuable and it suits our beliefs. Yeah. yeah. Other people prefer the certainty and then they want to know, you know, if they're not going to buy multiple properties over the next few years, then maybe fixing it makes more sense for them because they're not sure and they'd rather that certainty. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's why it's completely individual, right? Totally, so, I, yeah. I, you know, like don't let us try and, you know, go and speak to someone about it, right? <laughs> yeah. But have a think about what that means for your portfolio. Yeah. The other, there's another thing I, I just want to touch on as well, right? Because people think, oh, my God, I need to reduce my debt. Well, more specifically, they're talking about reducing their loan-to-value ratio, their debt ratio. Yeah, of right? all of my assets, how much do I owe? Yeah, a lot of people have got this viewpoint that the way to do that is to pay principal down, mm. right? Which is fine. Paying principal down is fine, right? But you've got to think about what is the hurdle rate of capital, right? So if the interest rate that you're paying on is 4% and you're paying down debt, then you're really only saving yourself 4% of the money. But could you repurpose that capital and earn more than 4%? Yeah. If you're a property investor, of course you can. The other, uh, the other consideration with it is, is that you can grow your LVR down. Mm. And this is what people forget. Yeah. People forget that. Like, so, so, and, and it was really interesting because um, looking at the federal budget, uh, this is, I don't know, a few months back, um, Josh Reidenberg was, was like, the debt levels are higher in Australia because of all the quantitative easing and all of that kind of stuff and all of the stimulus and 
the debt levels are higher in Australia in the in in the in the economy. And so the thesis wasn't pay down the debt. The thesis was grow the economy, right? Yeah. And and that's that's a really good thing for investors to be thinking about too, right? Because the way to lower your LVR is growth. <laughs> yeah. What's well, the thing we see that with our clients' portfolios, yeah. right? It's like they might enter the the strategy and the plan going, I'm gonna get ninety percent everything. And then, you know, even six to twelve months later, it's dropped. Well, the client that I caught up with yesterday, the one I mentioned earlier, yeah. five properties in in we'll call it eighteen months roughly, yeah. right? I know for a fact they bought all of those on ninety percent LVR. Yeah. And his portfolio LVR at the moment is seventy two percent. Yeah. See P and I. Some of them are P and I. Yeah. Most so, yeah, of them come from about, both rather than Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can't pay you're not paying down much equity in that period of time. So yeah. anyway, so <laughs> do you think we've answered the question of like is now a good time to invest in property? I think so. I think maybe I know if we've Waffled for a little bit. It's good. Waffled. Had a conversation. Yeah, this is good. I like this, <laughs> this format. Good, this is good. Um, but I, th- I think maybe just with the pricing thing, like obviously it's good for investors if you have purchased in the last year or couple of years. Mm. Prices have done well, generally speaking. There are markets within markets. We understand that. But I think now that people are thinking, like, is it still, like, am I going to start overpaying now? Like, is it... Because prices are going to keep pushing. Yeah, it's a really good. It's a really, it's really good question, right? It's a really good question because we've actually been looking at this internally as well, right? Because we pride ourselves on entering into markets before they start growing, right? In 2021, something like 90 percent of markets in Australia grew, like grew more than seven percent or something, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So it's actually pretty hard to find a market right now that hasn't had some growth. Mm. But just because a location has had growth doesn't mean it's bad. You actually need to look backwards a little bit. So, in a lot of places that we're buying right now, yes, there's already been some growth. But if you look back, maybe we're still, maybe the median house price is still only what it was in like 2016 or something. You know, you know what I mean? And so, if you can buy a property today in 20 at 2016 prices or at 2012 prices, you're you're on pretty you're on yeah. you're on a winner, right? And the reality is most growth most growth cycles in locations, sustainable ones. Now, bearing in mind, ninety percent of locations grew right in twenty twenty one, right? But not all of those are sustainable, right? Mm. Some of those were sugar hits, um, kind of like you, you know, not, we, we, why we weren't buying it as locations, right? Yeah, yeah, you could have effectively pretty much bought anywhere in Australia in 2021 yep. and gotten capital growth, right? That doesn't make you a genius. The thing is, lots of those locations either might go down or might just stagnate, likely to just stagnate, do nothing, right? Not the locations we're buying in. Now, if if you're buying in, in locations that are, that are driven by fundament, like strong fundamentals, so uh, lifestyle, jobs, and affordability, basically, right? They're the kind of that's the holy trinity of location selection. Then, statistically speaking, you know you've got about a three to seven year period of growth. Mm. So, in all those places, you're still at the start. And I think people just need to adjust their kind of perspectives on things because if you talk to someone who who went to like if you talk to your parents or whatever, they'll talk about when they were at school and they were they'd take twenty cents to school and buy. a pie and a coke and all of that kind of stuff and everything for 20 cents right and they'll talk about how everything's too expensive today but someone who grew up today is just going no it's just like coffees are five bucks that's normal right yeah so it's all about it's all about perspective and it's also it's all about where is the market actually going and what i tend to find is that most people just need to zoom out Mm. um 
you know, most people are looking at things like property prices on maybe a one or a two-year timescale, like where were they two years ago and what are they now? But actually, it can be really beneficial to look at it. Where were they two years ago? Where are they four years ago? Where were they 10 years ago? Actually, where were they 15 years ago is a really good point. Mm. Um, and where are they now? And then how do I feel about that? And then how do I feel about the, the prospects and opportunities in this area? Like what is actually driving that opportunity? Because um, what you want to look at is you want to look at areas that have got a sustained opportunity pipeline, either through um, you know, infrastructure projects or jobs projects or, you know, some, some reason, some, some thing to drive that area. You want to look at something that's got, got a pipeline of opportunity that is going to be driving demand over a multi-year period. Yeah. So. I think it's actually a really important point to kind of wrap up on is like, like you said, 2021, it was pretty easy to get capital growth yeah. in the Australian real estate market. Yeah. And so we saw that like even from, so from like an advisory perspective, like, there's a lot of people in the market now who, you know, offer these kind of buyer's agency advisory investment type of services yeah. and have kind of popped up in this summer period of the Australian, quote, market. Boom. Yeah. Um, and so it is just making sure that you are, you know, doing your own research and making sure that you are investing in locations that have that sustained. We don't need to do your own research. You just go to Dashdot. Dashdot does all the research. That's easy. <laughs> Subtle plug. <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, no, but like, like legit. Yeah, leg- my, my point being, we've spoken with people before who have, you know, got really into crypto and NFTs and all of that. Yeah. And the, at the start of that kind of, you know, very early adopter of a trend, you get really massive returns yeah but there's also a huge risk there obviously as we've seen but you know people want if you're a less kind of mature investor thinking about how you want to invest you want those kind of we think that you want those so, quick returns so anyone investing in the share market from the start of 2020 right thought they were a genius right yeah. i mean they just non-stop made money right yeah. but the reason warren buffett is warren buffett right is because what he does is simple, just not easy. So what does he do? He buys the right assets in the right markets at the right time. That's what he does. Yep. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Sounds so simple, right? But it's actually really hard. There's actually a, a method to it, and he spends all his day just thinking about that and doing that. Mm. And that's, I think, you know, like I don't care if we plug Dashdot on this podcast. Like that's that's literally the thing that we've been working on doing. It's like how do you – how do you do that scientifically? Not from a kind of like guru-wise, I bought 20 properties 10 years ago, look at me, Yahoo. The market's different. Things change. You don't know. That doesn't mean that you know what's going on. Yep. And just because you had some success doesn't mean that you'll continue to have success, yep. you know? And so working out how to do that, how to find the right property in the right place at the right time, that is the science. Yep. And that's that's why we've invested so much in doing what we're doing. Yeah, which is the whole reason we have the team that we have because we recognized yep. it early on was like it's not about you and I picking some random properties and, and crossing our fingers. Now, anyone can anyone any, anyone can like, do it. Anyone can anyone can get it right some of the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How do you get it right consistently? That's the that's the trick. That's the game. So yep. yeah. So if you do want some help in doing that, then make sure you reach out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, you can book a discovery call, have a chat with the team. 
completely no obligation. But if you are interested in succeeding in today's market and reducing your risk, that's the big mm-hmm. one, right? If people want to continue to get ahead, but they're worried they're going to get it wrong. If you want to reduce your risk and, and have a higher chance of success, then get in touch with the team and, um, and we'll help you out. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Hope you've enjoyed the format. And we, oh, one last thing before we wrap it up. If you have any questions you would like to get answered on the show, yeah. either by me or me and Gabby or by potentially me and Vanessa, who's done a couple of episodes <laughs> as well, um, send them in to til at dash dot dot com dot au. That's til, which stands for the Investor Lab, at dash dot dot com dot au. That's D-A-S-H-D-O-T dot com dot au. Um, send us an email. Let us know what your questions are and we will answer them on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.